Conversations with Alaskan Gardeners is on the air. Margaret Tharp and I are here in the KIMY radio station. This is a call-in show, and you can reach us by calling 907-586-1800. Call in from all over Southeast Alaska. We're interested in gardening and landscaping questions. We're interested in what you have growing. We're interested in any any, uh, invitations to see spectacular things in your yard, all those kinds of things. Margaret, thank you so much for joining me here this morning. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad to be here, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> it seems yeah, there's like so it's... much going on. It's just, you know, I thought things were supposed to slow down when you got older, but I just feel like everything's speeding up faster and faster. I think it's a Doppler effect. I think you also see it. You can see it more clearly coming at you, so you hear it before it gets right up in front of Holy you. Holy moly. And there's all that stuff. And then there's the, as it goes past you, and think how much stuff is past you that's still talking to you. <laughs> well, anyway, I mean, all all those uh, uh, philosophical pundits say that you know deal with today, right now, and forget what went on before. But I can't forget it. It's all just oh, I'm thrilled back to there it. shouting at me, <laughs> yammer, yammer, yammer. All those things that have ever happened. They're all still talking to me. Anyway, where most people are putting uh, their plants to bed and getting ready to, to close out the garden, we just got a good, great big shipment in. That's right, we did. And it's always so exciting when things come in. You know, we decided this year, not only do we have a large project we had to get everything in town for, but there are things that are going to be much better next spring for having come in this fall and going dormant, and then they'll be in sync with the spring weather when it comes in. Really, and it's the rhododendrons that, um, and some of the perennials that we got in are really there. And the maple trees and the flowering cherries. The Japanese maples are spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. I, I'll let you know when you have some for sale, but I can't make up my mind until I can get to my project. <laughs> uh, a gentleman called me and says, did you get my maple tree in? I said, I got some maple trees in, but I can't allocate them until Margaret finishes choosing what she wants. That's right. That's, I'm sorry, but that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. But we did go to the Japanese maple farm. It's one of the prettiest places I've ever been in my life. It's beautiful, wasn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Just hundreds of acres of trees. Some of them have been growing for 40 years. They're just huge. With young trees growing around them in different stages and And so phases. many different colors of Japanese maple. So many different kinds. It's and like, gold it was like corn. And green ones and bright, bright just, red ones. And it's purple just amazing. Ones. I've yeah. always said you ought to give a nursery tour for people who wanted to go and see what it's like on the farms where the nursery stock is grown because it is spectacular. It truly is. I've gone on, on organized tours like that put on by the nursery association and you know you have no idea where many of these places are they're tucked up some little tiny road in some little valley and they grow a crop which they just sell nobody ever comes to see them right they just sell it it goes uh, on a truck to baltimore or it goes to uh, west virginia or it goes to texas it goes to alaska or it goes to alaska that's right and it's so nice to go back to a place we've done business with for years and be well, those are like our pals. That's right, all yeah. our pals. So among the things that came in this week are the only hardy yellow rhododendron. It's called Capistrano. 
and we bought and some of the purple ones and we bought that's right an edith bosley edith bosley that's uh-huh. it you can look it up on the web and yes please do look them up on the on the web capistrano the yellow rhododendron and edith bosley the most beautiful purple dark dark purple rhododendron right no lavender now, dark purple and these are things that are in such high demand we are really lucky to get any and uh, I was very pleased to see that we got five of the small yellow rhododendrons. So if somebody's interested, make sure you get in touch with me and tell me so I can either get it to you now, which would be the ideal thing, and put it in the ground and have it winter in your ground or else I'll put your name on it for the springtime. But it's far better to plant them now. Even if you don't get it planted until the end of September, the beginning of October, it's still way better to put them in the ground now is than it, to try and do it in the springtime. Is it too late for nematodes to go out? Uh, it's probably not, considering what the weather, what the temperature is now, and the soil temperature. I came across uh, a stand of rhododendrons at a property that I take care of. That just this year, late, the ne- the beetles have been infested in them. And uh, I sure would like to have some nematodes to put down. Well, I, I can order some. Sure, <laughs> I can big. order some. They'll be These here in about a week. These are big. They're, you know, uh-huh. so I'd want, I'd want as many as we did for Phil on her hillside. Okay. Well, they come in packages of 250 million, so I'll get you, I'll get you a, a fair number. And if somebody else wants some, make sure that I hear about it so I can set some well, aside. Well, you know, I've taken care of these rhododendrons for years, and... <clears throat> the what's the beetle called? Uh, root weevil. The root black weevil. Black vine weevil. Yeah, okay, black vine weevil <clears throat> has only been in a certain area. This is a large property, and all summer it wasn't there, but just this fall, man, oh man. So what Margaret is talking about is a beetle you <laughs> never see. It only comes out when it's nighttime, and it feeds on the leaves of the rhododendrons at the outside edge of them. And it makes big munching bites around the perimeter of the leaf, as if it had been a ticket and they had been punched by a, a conductor or something like that. <laughs> and sometimes the the amount of damage done makes it look so ragged; it looks like it's a tattered. That's old how piece these are. Sheet. These are tattered. These are tattered, and <clears throat> they're all on the low, the lowest branches, closest mm-hmm. to the ground. But I'm saying, you know, for it to happen in just a, a month. Right. So what we do with them is we get a, a nematode, which is a naturally occurring microscopic animal that is actually native here in southeast Alaska, but just, just not, not, a, not in, in the numbers we want. Not in the quantity you need to fight how many beetles right. are. So if you see that beetle munching on the, ex- on the external part of the leaves, that means that the beetle's feeding, but it also really means that the juvenile stage, the larvae, are down in the ground and they're eating the roots. And that's where the real damage is done. Right, and they've killed trees. Oh, they've killed big fir trees. Big, big fir trees. Big trees. There's some big trees. And there's a lot of them. I'm sure that uh, global warming has a lot to do with the insect population changing. And well, you know, I don't... Insects aren't my thing, but on the other hand, since I have to take care of people's property, uh, insects become my thing, That's and right. I I don't use chemicals. And having a, a natural pest control pest control for things like that 
you know, these rhododendrons are 40 years old. They're not, they're not babies. They're oh, I know. And they're worth, those rhododendrons are worth $20,000 a piece. At least. They're huge. And they're, they're 12 feet tall and 15, 18 feet across. Mm-hmm. You know, that, those are big plants. And they're really essential to that particular landscape. So, so anything we can do to, to preserve them and encourage them. We'll so figure, you know, I have about 20 of them to treat. Okay. I'll get you a bunch. Okay. And uh, this last week, several people have contacted me asking if I still had nematodes, and I have run out of them. Uh, Margaret's just requesting more. So if you were one of those people that you think you have need of these nematodes, make sure to get in touch with me. Get back in touch with him because he writes the notes down, but then sometimes he loses his notes, so, you know. Reinforcement. A little reinforcement's fine. There's a lot of... uh, A a lot of notes. A lot of information (laughs) out there, you know. There's a lot of stuff coming in that sometimes I kind of... It gets overloaded. Yep. And uh, so we're going to choose which Japanese maples are Mm -hmm. available for sale. Mm -hmm. I've got some yellow rhododendrons and some purple rhododendrons if people want them. And let's talk for a bit about hedges. Well, you know, with the queen passing... There's been a lot of photography coming across the internet. And I, I uh, saw this picture of she and Philip. It was like taken, it looked, it was almost like a drone picture. It was taken up high in the sky, uh-huh. so either high in a building, a castle, something. And they're walking down a long drive. And on the side, there were. 200 beech trees making a hedge that uh, had to be a couple hundred years old. It was so absolutely stunning uh, that it just, I couldn't quit looking at it. And, and they just looked like little tiny people next to these great big trees. It was really photographs. Photographs really say something. So there is a famous giant yew hedge in Ireland, and I think it must be this because it's no. A, this is not evergreen. No, These no, I'm, beach I'm trees. sorry, my error. I meant beach hedge. Uh huh. I'm, I'm thinking about hedges, but I think it's a beach hedge. But it's a really famous one, and it's and the the pictures I've seen show tour buses parked in front of it. it Look like little Tonka toys. Tonka toys. They're exactly. just they're huge. And you think you know, about what view a person has. To plant a hedge that he knows is going to get to be 150 feet tall. Well, these had to be planted a couple hundred years ago. Oh, I'm sure. You know, because they're so big. But uh, And the Brits, you can't help but take your hat off. They've always been horticultural. You know, from long before the medieval times, when they had walled cities and everything was happening on the inside. Uh, it's really... They always show us wonderful things. And I think that that concept of managing the wild world, before people came to the concept of, of I'm going to grow it all and have ornamental things up close to my house and right, right. particular things, like the, the garden. They tamed what was wild around them. They tamed them. what was wild, used what was wild, and, and transplanted it around, and that's the beginning of, of horticultural management. And I'm sure that the old pictures that you see of the the Middle Eastern and and uh, Alhambra, Muhammad, Muhammad, Al- Alhambra. Muhammad and societies in the deserts have those same kinds of treatments, and they make a, a walled 
sanctuary where the interior has some And they water also in it. handled water. Yes. Precious water. It's Paradise. Really, mm, that's really something. Uh, that's the origin of our gardening world is those those uh, Middle Eastern paradises. Well, there are many players there. Okay. Every every powerful society has left their footprint in the horticultural world, and um, the Eastern societies and cultures have what they call kind of like their rug designs. It's a completely different type of application. Uh-huh. And it sure is. the French have theirs. Hello. Good morning, Conversations. I have a, co- a question. I have read that you can actually start iris by seed, and I've collected the pollinated seeds. They've dried out, and I'm ready to throw them out, but um, I have a, a question. In one book, it says, um, you know, start them in a greenhouse, blah, blah, blah. The other one says throw them out in late fall, early winter, and um, and they'll start growing and be ready the next year to pop up. So since we're in Alaska and it's probably a little different than it's a little <laughs> than different. I, need, I thought I would call and ask: Is it something that I do need to start in a greenhouse, and if so, when? Or can I throw them out? And I'm in Gustavus right now. And what kind of iris are they? The wild one. Yeah, they're wild. They're all wild. And they grow on my property everywhere, but um, I, I want them in a certain area, so I thought I'd try to transplant some so or grow some. I would think, although I haven't directly done this, so I'm a novice myself, but David does know, one thing you'll want to do is try to weed out an area so it doesn't have so much competition for the germination to take place. What were you going to say, Dave? I'm going to say that irises need what's called uh, cold stratification. And they have to go through a, a period of about two months of being at a low temperature and a managed uh, moisture content. And so what you do with them, what the classic thing for irises is, is you mix them in a bowl with moist sand, put them in a plastic bag, and put them in the vegetable compartment of your refrigerator for a couple months before you put them out. There is what they call a germination inhibition, and that that gets overcome by this period of cold stratification. So I won't be able to do that here because um, we'll be leaving uh, in a month. So um, will they overwinter so that I could start that process next year in the fall? They would, or you could, could you, uh, do you it. Put them under your house. There's no limitation on how long they can be in that cold stratification period. You could oh, put them, okay. leave them while you're gone. Oh, you probably turn your refrigerator off. But uh, yeah, but you, if well, you have I'll a crawl, crawl I, could, I could put them in the greenhouse so that you know with the sand, wet sand. With the wet sand, the, they'll they'll freeze hard solidly oh. but you know it's got to work like that because what you're doing is mimicking a natural process i would imagine that if you did that and and cold stratified them and left them like that all winter long and let them freeze and let them thaw back out again that they would have no trouble germinating in the springtime and what margaret was saying about about having the area where you're going to plant them be clear of competing vegetation 
it's really true that that the seeds actually need to be in contact with bare earth in order for their germination to work right and the little root that comes out to be able to dig down into the dirt and so uh you might you might uh, do that Put them in the, the cold stratification for the month that you're still here. Plant them in flats of, uh, of seed and, I mean, of uh, sand and peat mixed about half and half. And put them in the greenhouse and leave them there and they would germinate in the springtime. And then you can take the little plants. It's going to take them a long time. When they germinate, they're really tiny, you know, and, the, and they're really tiny for a couple of years. And so you could take them and grow them on like that and then put them out and you wouldn't have to have the area absolutely clear because you could just dig little holes and plant plant the, uh, the little plants. Okay. So I guess my question is I'm going to be leaving, which means if they're in the greenhouse, will they dry out? Well, you're going to put them in a plastic bag of moist oh, sand. Okay. You know, in, and you're going to put it in your refrigerator now, and then you're going to put it out in your greenhouse and leave it there over the winter. And then in the springtime, you're going to plant them into flats so that they can germinate in that that uh, controlled area, and then you can plant them out. But you know, why don't okay. you? Why don't you? Uh, what I would do, <laughs> I'd do both. I'd I'd uh, have some that I just planted right straight out, and maybe you could pl- put a uh, a few flats out just on the ground. And uh, in a place where they can stay moist and let them be like that and let them go through the winter in the flat already planted and then come up in the springtime. And maybe, because you know, in the natural world, that's what happens. They throw their seeds down now, winter comes. You know, if they didn't germinate now, they'll germinate in the springtime. That's what that that uh, dormancy or germination inhibition is for, is to stop them from coming up right away. Okay. Okay. Yeah, good good idea. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sounds like fun. Call us back next year and let us know how it goes. <laughs> okay. Okay. And you'll have thousands of them. <laughs> good. Good, exactly. <laughs> and then they become currency to trade with. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, more later. I understand it takes about three years before they'll start blooming. Is that about right? Oh, I bet it's going to be longer than that. Oh, okay. All right. Because <laughs> they'll be little okay. like grass, you know. Yeah. All right. Okay. okay more later. Good luck. Bye-bye. Always fun. I just love that stuff, though. Let's figure out how to do it. Yeah. There's a group, a society that I belong to called the International Plant Propagation Society, the IPPS. Well, you know what people say about that? Bunch of eggheads. <laughs> I know what our kids said. Never saw as many nerds in my life. <laughs> uh-huh. but, they, but they have well, their a... dad's a big nerd. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I'm afraid that's true. Okay, I was talking to Stacy at uh, Tyler Rental this morning. Oh, I was in there this week. So exciting. You bought me a present for my I birthday. I did. I did. They have a multi-tool. For, Just for the still weed eaters and things. Uh-huh. So that every... And they've all got peculiar little screw heads and and uh, things you have to poke into them. And, and when you're winding new twine on the weed eaters, you got something you have to poke in there and hold it stable and all that stuff is... And it all comes on one kit. I thought that was really cool. And I saw some really nice power washers when I was there. Well, and I certainly have enjoyed our still power washer. Isn't it smooth? Well, it's been cleaning all our pots. You yeah. know, that's great. It's not a big machine. What we have is, is about the size of a vacuum cleaner. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it kind of looks like a vacuum cleaner, except it pumps out rather than sucks in. Uh huh. And uh, boy, for keeping the uh, the truck beds clean and the and 
we have so many flower pots to manage and we use them for so many different things and they get really uh, filled with weeds and mud and seeds and things in order not to to cross contaminate we wash them out pretty cleanly right because they're hauling soil right now and so they have to be clean pots and that pressure worship works just marvels for that and it wasn't very expensive and the, what i like about it is it only weighs about 25 pounds so mm-hmm. all right you could easily pick it up and trot around i've always wanted to have a house where like one of those clay walled houses down in the southwest that people talk about where you could just go in with a power washer and clean everything off <laughs> have a big drain in the middle of the floor and wash right. everything down to it yes. yeah i can see that we right up your alley <laughs> so we were starting to talk about hedges and people call us up and talk about arborvitas all the time because the arborvitas have a tendency to fall apart under the snow weight well you know i am going to speak positively of arborvita i think that they've been treated poorly by people because they are common and because they are cheap in comparison to other evergreens. Evergreens are expensive. Evergreens take a long time to be something that you want to buy. An arborvita is a pretty fast growing, very common evergreen. It really does the work and it's really affordable. So if you get creative using an arborvita, instead of putting them in a straight line and, you know, having them all have pointed tops and all that jazz. You know, you can make them look beautiful and you marry them with other types of plants. But they can fall apart in the wintertime. So that's what you want to talk about. Interior bracing. Both things are true. I'm really interested in the use of them. I, too, scorned them for many years. And it wasn't until I moved here to Alaska and realized uh, how, how scant my palate was to be able to do that kind of work. That I looked back at Arborvitas and thought, well done, fellas. Absolutely. You uh, good and trusted servant, you betcha. You wanted to have a a barrier for view and sound. And they grow so fast. And they are, as you said, very affordable. Mm -hmm. For a hundred bucks, you can get one that's as tall as I am. Well, Well, not quite. That's right. Maybe not quite as tall as I am, but you know, for a hundred bucks, and that, and then if you want right, to make because a hedge, if you were going to buy a U, it'd be three hundred and fifty bucks. Oh right, you know, it's Absolutely. not like it's it's all about what you're buying. So the arborvitae that we see, which has a specific name, Smargard, it's a, a Norwegian name. Imagine that. Uh huh. Isn't that something? And it's also <laughs> called an emerald green, as the Americans and the the Brits grow them like that. But that's it's a juvenile form of a much bigger cedar tree. And in the wild, that kind of cedar tree has an open top. It doesn't grow like a big exclamation point. It grows up and then spreads out and has big arching branches. And so what we see as something being kind of devastated with the branches coming apart like that is really a view into the future of that species. Well, you know, I've let mine, of course, I'm not, in my own yard. You're not a control manager. I'm, I'm, I, I let things be the way they're going to be. Right now, I even have some dead things in my yard that I just can't dig up because I love them so much. But uh, mine are going, they're looking like Hollywood junipers. Their arms are branching out. They're looking quite exotic, and they're 12 feet tall. Okay, but... For they who wish to have them continue to be neat and tidy, the the secret to it is to tie them together from the inside. Yeah, all those little branches. 
You don't go around the outside of it Mm-mm. where you squash down the outer part of it. You reach inside the plant and you, you'd use your uh, little flat strap of some kind. I buy strapping to do this with. That's uh, haven't, you so bu- haven't you bought it at Joanne's sometimes? Sometimes I buy it at Joanne's, sometimes I buy it. Something from that doesn't cut into the bark. Something the flat. strapping lady online strapping.com or any of those places and you're looking at something that's a, a nylon woven piece that will uh, or, or you can buy the cotton ones too you just have to redo them every 10 years or so and you're going to tie the the upright trunks underneath the outside foliage you're going to f- thread it around around the up- upright trunks so you can't see it from the outside and bring it together and tie it and so it's good to get a black or dark green strapping not bright white or yellow or something that's like right that. or fluorescent orange <laughs> right no and and if you tie them together and you don't tie them real tightly what you're doing you're not trying to confine them you're trying to uh, support them support them so they can't fall apart and going up to the to uh, the top 18 inches of it and being able to tie it at that point is really a critical thing too. Before it's 15 feet tall. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's one of the reasons why you might want to keep it at the height you can manage it. So, um, anyway. But having said that. Hooray for the Arborvita. Hooray for the Arborvita. But also, when you make a hedge, if you have it all be the same, in a while, it gets to be just background. So if you were going to make a hedge and you wanted to have it be a major part of your landscape and not just background, you'd do that by, by combining different species together in the hedge. Well, you need to have a pattern. It just can't be a random higgly-piggly thing. As the French are? It's, it, you need to have something more prettier more orderly people like patterns i'm not saying it has to be a rigid pattern not like black white black white black white i don't mean it that way and you can mix mix varieties but you don't want to just put one in among 20 of the same you want to do here's five of this and then there's five of this and then there's five of something else and just remember the evergreen part needs to be where the view has to be blocked the most so if you're going to use deciduous things mixed in your hedge which will lose their leaves in the wintertime, then you just put them where you can go ahead and have that view. So you can put lilacs in with arborvitas and roses and any of that and, and high bush cranberry. And rhododendrons. And and even maple trees. All those things. And but have not it. too higgly piggly. That's right. Okay. I'll I'll do it like that. I'll give you the the pattern is desirable. <laughs> you know, I, I know that as I look at things, pattern is desirable. It makes people feel comfortable. Now, some people are totally into chaos theory, and they don't want that, and that's fine. And they can have chaos theory. But for most people in the landscape, a little bit of a pattern gives them comfort. It's, all, it's coming to all of us. And in The Dragons of Eden, Carl Sagan said that that pattern desirability is so far back in your brain it's what we share with crocodiles it's a a reptile part of our lives so i can understand how underneath everything there is that drumbeat of i like repetition i like pattern i like uniformity identification Mm -hmm. right and he likens it to mass migrations of uh of lizards but 
That's a topic for another day. Thanks. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> two minutes, David. Oh, oh is it two, only two minutes? Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm going to be at the nursery later today. If you want to come and see me. We're and, busy uh, this morning, though. We're busy this morning. We've got some other oh, projects we've got to manage. Good morning, Conversations. Hi. Um, I have a roadie that probably is 10 or 12 years old, and it barely blooms. And I'm wondering what are the most important things I should do to encourage blooming. Okay. We'll tell you what we know on the air, okay? Thank you. And then send me a picture of it. Send it to my cell phone, 321-4149. Okay? Okay. So Food. The most, feed it. Feed it and make sure it has enough it, light. If you, if you think of a rhododendron as an animal, it's like one of those 650-pound hogs tied up at your garden gate. It wants to be fed, and you want to feed it about four times a year, spring, early summer, late summer, and just before winter. And uh, out at the drip line, not up by the trunk. And maybe a band about, for a plant as old as yours is, you'd make a band of fertilized area about two feet wide at the outer edge of the branches. Both inside and outside, outside of that. the drip line. And you're going to have it, the fertilizer has to get down to the earth. So if you've got landscape fabric around it, cut it away for that and uh, be able to put the, the fertilizer down. If you've got a layer of mulch, rake it back so the fertilizer can get down to the ground. And you're going to use a fertilizer that has uh, phosphorus in the middle of it. When it has the numbers like 832.16, that's a good combination for rhododendrons. But if you can't find that, you can use 16.16.16 Absolutely. or 10.10.10. Just something. Better than nothing. Uh, and if you can't find what you're looking for, call me up. I've got some professional grade rhododendron fertilizer that we use. It's, it, and so the, the two things are enough light. If it's in the dark, it won't bloom. And, and enough fertilizer. Okay, I think we're at the end of our allotted time. Okay, thank you so much. It's it's been nice being on the air with y'all, and uh, we'll talk to you next next week. And this is Margaret and Dave from Landscape Alaska, and we're wishing you all happy gardening.